Well, good morning, CFC. Um, this morning, we're going to start with a song that talks about um, how great God is and how he is so great that um, there's no way we could possibly ever praise him for everything he's done. Um, we're going to go ahead and try this morning. So let's sing this song together. I could sooner count the stars Number all your ways I only know in part That part exceeds all praise As sunlight fills the skies Your goodness fills my life For all your precious gifts See my gratefulness drink the seas and fathom all your love like a never-ceasing stream our mercies through your son the death of Christ alone deserves eternal song for such a love as is receive my gratefulness no praise is high enough no thanks no life is long enough to tell of all you've done. No shout is loud enough. No words are strong enough. No song is sweet enough to sing your love. Well, I could sooner turn back time than turn your heart away. Years go fleeting by, your mercies never change. Before you made the sun, your love was set on us. For all your faithfulness, receive my gratefulness. No praise is high enough, no thanks is deep enough, no life is long enough. Tell of all you've done. No shout is loud enough. No words are strong enough. No song is sweet enough. Sing your love. No praise is high enough. No praise is high enough. No thanks is deep enough. No life is long enough. Tell of all you've done. No shout is loud enough, no words are strong enough, no song is sweet enough to sing your love. Yeah, no song is sweet enough to sing your
it seems my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. It seems my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. When I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, bled and died to take away my sin. Sings my soul, my Savior God, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Sings my soul, my Savior God, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. shall come with shouts of acclamation take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou Sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. How great thou art, how great thou art. The scripture reading this morning is from Romans 3, verses 21 through 28. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. What kind of law? By what kind of law? By, by law of works? No, but by the law of faith. 
For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, this next song we're going to sing, uh, it's a one I think you guys have done before. It's called Not In Me. Um, and as I was working on it this week, um, I was feeling really convicted by this song. Basically what this song talks about is how um, our salvation is found in nothing that we can ever do, but is only found in Jesus Christ. Um, and I realized as I was um, just going through the song and learning it and reading the words that uh, this is something that I can so easily fall into, so easily fall into this pride of thinking that what I'm doing is, is good, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm doing better than that person, or I'm, I'm doing pretty good on this. I'm not, I'm not doing too bad. Um, but this is a song that just says, it just reminds us that there's nothing that we can do um, to earn our own salvation, but that is only through Jesus Christ. Um, and it's, it's a simple, I know it's something that we all know in our heads that, yeah, of course, it's not, it's not by our, what we do, but by Jesus. But um, it's so important uh, to have this, a song like this to remind us, because uh, I know, at least for me, it's really easy to slip into that pride and that self-righteousness. Um, so let's sing the song together this morning, just um, as a reminder that there's nothing that we can do, but all that Jesus has done for us. No list of sins I have not done. No list of virtues I pursue. No list of those I am not like can earn myself a place with you. Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through. My only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only No humble dress, no fervent prayer, no And merciful in 
Christ. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by Him, and He alone can give me rest. And He alone. Good morning, CFC. Um, now's our time where we uh, get to worship the Lord um, through our offering. And um, this is for our uh, members, regular attenders. If you happen to be a guest just up um, watching and participating, uh, please feel no obligation for that. Um, as you will see uh, on the screen there, if you um, want to know how to give, there's the uh, link, you can do it online, or you can mail check to the uh, P.O. box there. So please bow your heads with me and let's uh, pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you're ever uh, faithful, Lord. You've given us all that we have. Our only hope is in you, Lord. Thank you for uh, this church and the privilege to serve and worship together as a corporate body. And Lord, we look forward to being able to be together in the same location again in the near future. And Lord, we just pray at this moment during this service um, that you put it on our hearts to uh, give back to you what is already yours, Lord. We pray this in our blessed Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Christian Fellowship Church. Good to see most of you. Uh, I know some of us were not able to put the camera on or whatever the case might be, uh, but thankful uh, that I'm able to see you in some way, some fashion, uh, better than not seeing you at all. And uh, not, you know, not to disparage churches that do the, the pre-recorded services or anything, but I like the live feature uh, so that we can start the service together, uh, be in, in real time uh, together. Uh, just, I think it speaks to the unity uh, that is the basis of our fellowship. Um, we're, we've got two sermons left in First John. And as we continue to move through this book, I want to remind you that uh, the simplicity of it, uh, sometimes it's easy to miss uh, the import of it for our lives, right? It's simple, uh, and so we can kind of just let it pass through, and, and we can kind of rush through it. And so I want to make sure that you join me in prayer as we ask the Lord to do something in us through this passage so that we're different on the other side of it, uh, which is the point of Scripture. Uh, so please pray with me for just a moment. Fathers, we enter this time sitting under the truth of your word, we pray that you would give us the grace that we need to receive it, uh, not just audibly, but with our hearts, uh, that we would grasp it, see it clearly, and bear fruit from it. 
And so, Lord, I know I need your grace to speak it. We all need your grace to hear it, uh, myself included. So we ask you for it. We ask you before we enter this time that you would do the work necessary for us to change. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Today's sermon uh, hits a nerve, strikes a nerve with me, and I, I think it might with you, because it's one of those things that we talk about all the time, ever since you first became a Christian, ever since you first uh, understood what it means to walk with the Lord, you've learned about prayer, that a Christian prays, Christians should be praying. Perhaps the first thing you did in response to the faith rising in your heart was to pray. Maybe someone prayed with you. Uh, you go to church and we start with prayer. We end with prayer. We pray for the offering. Then the pastor wants you to pray again for the sermon, right? Then we close in prayer. The songs are sort of prayers put to songs. And so there's prayers everywhere. Uh, and we understand that uh, you can't get very far in the Christian walk before you realize we're supposed to be praying on our own. We're supposed to be living lives of prayer. We should be prayerful. Um, but we're so busy. And it's, it's hard for many of us to do. Now, some people uh, have basically a gift of prayer where they gravitate to it. They wouldn't call it easy, but they, uh, they, they, it's more uh, natural to them, it seems like. And then for others of us, it's really hard. It's difficult. I mean, it's not hard to pray, but it's hard to pray uh, consistently. Uh, and it's, it's a difficult spiritual habit to develop. And I know over the years, prayer has been a struggle for me. It's easy for me to read the Bible, study the Bible, preach the Bible, uh, talk to people about the Bible. It's hard to sit in quiet and pray uh, to a God that you can't see with your eyes. You can only see with your heart. Uh, it really challenges faith and it challenges spiritual discipline. And I think for a lot of us, where we start with prayer, maybe a New Year's resolution, maybe we hear a sermon on prayer, and we decide, okay, we're, I'm going to try to be a little bit more prayerful. And we begin with the wrong things. You know, we begin with uh, time. I'm going to pray for five minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, I'm going to pray in the morning when I'm more awake rather than at night. Or I'm going to end my day with prayer. Or I'm going to have an accountability partner for prayer. Or I'm going to download this prayer app to keep track of my prayers and there's there's nothing wrong with any of those things but but i i think what what we need to understand is something deeper that will drive prayerfulness in our lives and we're going to see that in this passage uh but we're not going to see it right away first we're going to get through some weird stuff that on first glance it, it doesn't not only is it hard to understand what ha this has anything to do with prayer but it's hard to understand what it's saying to begin with um, and part of the reason why is because we're not the congregation that John is writing to. We're reading, you know, thousands of years later, looking back, and we don't have all the details of what's going on, but I think we have enough to figure out what's going on, and rather than starting with a sheer commitment to prayer, instead, he wants to start with your identity as a person, and then eventually he'll get to prayer. So we're going to put prayer on a hook and back up and see what he has to say uh, first. Uh, so join me in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to be this morning in verses 6 through 
15. And he says this in, in verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood. Who is he? Well, remember how we ended last week on verse 5, that the one who overcomes the world is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And now he's saying, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus Christ? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. I told you. <laughs> I told you it doesn't make sense immediately, right? Because we don't have the background, we don't have the, the context to the arguments. You remember that uh, the, the impetus for this letter, what, 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 put, what made John put the, uh, uh, the letter to ink, so to speak, is to, uh, is to recognize that there was uh, a, a congregation that was hurting, a congregation of people that were leftovers from a split. We don't know how big the split was, but we know there were false teachers peddling some false gospel. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ who came in the flesh. Uh, John makes that really clear. And apparently, uh, they were trying to convince the Christians that they had the wrong gospel. That they were wrong. They were in error. You don't, you don't have Jesus correctly. And if you don't have Jesus correctly, you're out with God. So John comes with this letter to go, no, no, no. You do believe. You believe that Jesus came in the flesh, and anyone who doesn't is a liar. Anyone who doesn't is out. Anyone who doesn't is still in darkness, and they never really were a part of us. If they really were a part of us, they would have stayed with us. They're the ones that are on the out, not you. And that tone goes throughout this entire letter. It's an assuring letter. And so what he's trying to get his readers to understand is uh, to understand that they are believers because they believed in this uh, testimony of Jesus Christ. And so he brings in witnesses, so to speak. How do you know? And he's talked before. How do you know you're a Christian? You love. You love God. You love your brother. How do you know you're a Christian? You obey God's commandments. You delight in those commandments and you do them, right? They're not burdensome to you. Uh, how do you know you're a believer? Because you confess Jesus Christ. And that's the one he's pressing into here, the confession of who Christ is and what he's done. So when he talks about water and blood, that's what he's talking about. What Christ has done, what you believe about Jesus Christ testifies to the solid gospel, this unshakable truth that makes you who you are, that the truth that you cling to that makes you a believer. And so he wants you to leave this letter uh, assured. And so he's returning to that theme of assurance, and he calls in this, these testimonies of the Spirit, and the, the Spirit testifies in agreement with the, both the water and the blood. What is the water and the blood? Well, a lot of different theories have been put out there. There are various interpretations, but here's something I think is helpful. Notice that he says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. You see how he's, he's pausing and making it really clear. Uh, I think it's very plausible and likely that the people that he's kind of arguing against this mess that he's cleaning up from all those heretics and those false teachers, those false teachers probably already agreed that Jesus came by water, whatever that means. They didn't agree, they did not agree that Jesus came by the blood. That's where the disagreement was. So John is saying, hey, not only by the water, 
Everyone's agreeing with that, but he also came by the blood. Uh, so what, what does water mean? Some people means it, 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 some people think it means natural birth, uh, not to be gross, but just the water, the, the fluid, the water that is associated with birth. Uh, I don't think that's likely. I think it means what water meant in John's gospel, uh, that uh, John the Baptist says he came to baptize by water. And so Jesus had to be baptized by water so that he can now enter his ministry of spirit baptism. And so Jesus came, started his ministry, didn't he, with the baptism. And at that ministry, who testified that this is the one? Who testified at Jesus' baptism, at Jesus' water baptism, that this is the one whom the Father loves? This is the one who's going to start this ministry, right? That was the Holy Spirit. And so nobody disagreed then that Jesus was baptized. Nobody disagreed then that he had John the Baptist's baptism and that he began this ministry. The disagreement was the blood, which uh, I think refers to the cross. That fits the rest of John's letter, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. This is how atonement happens. And most heretics and false teachers today have some disagreement about uh, Jesus' work on the cross, that it wasn't substitutionary uh, or something like that. And so there was something about his atonement that was off uh, in the false teachers. And he's trying to say, no, 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 all these things work together. Water baptism, what is that a symbol of? It's a symbol of death and life, right? And Jesus had to actually make that happen. The symbol isn't enough. For him to make it happen, he had to die in the flesh. And so John is re-emphasizing the solid gospel that we're not to leave, that we're to cling to, and that the three things work together. Baptism, the cross, all point to the same reality of atonement and forgiveness, and entrance into a relationship with God. And so the Spirit affirms all these things in verses 6 through 8. The Spirit is the truth. The Spirit is the one who testifies it. And the three testify that the Spirit and the water and the blood agree in verse 8. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne according uh, concerning his son and so the point is that the spirit affirms your testimony uh when you are full of doubt when you are unsure when false teachers are telling you you've got it wrong that you're not really a christian and they point out this or that john is trying to return you to the anchor and the anchor is not how well you did yesterday the anchor of your faith is not uh how well you performed this week the anchor to your faith is the testimony of the baptism and the cross of Jesus Christ, that he's granted you entrance. And if you believe in him by faith, then you're in. And so that is the anchor uh, that you cling to. That's the testimony that you cling to, to understand that you're in. And the spirit testifies to this, not just through scripture, but opening your eyes to see scripture. Anyone can read scripture. It's when you read scripture and something comes alive inside of you. It's like the, the brothers that were on the road to Emmaus and Jesus came alongside them and talked to them about the Old Testament scriptures and, point, and showed them how the Old Testament scriptures were pointing to him. In the beginning of that passage, Jesus caused them slow of heart to believe. They were slow to faith. At the end of the passage, when Jesus leaves, they look at each other and they say, remember when he was giving us that Bible study, when he was walking us through scripture and point, showing us how scripture points to him, how our hearts 
uh, were a fire. Our hearts were a flame, right? What does that mean? Well, some people think that means that they were being really emotional. Uh, uh, churches today talk about, are you on fire? I don't know what that means, but I think in Luke 24, what it meant was they were slow of heart to believe. And by the time Jesus was done pointing them to scripture, their hearts were brimming with faith or shining with faith. And so it's that faith that comes alive inside of you. It's not just the witness and testimony that, of scripture that spirit has inspired, but something clicks inside of you. And some of you, I've heard your testimonies where you're like, how did you come to faith? Well, I just got it. Were you convinced? Was it a long argument? Can you write it out on a chalkboard? No, I just saw. The scales fell from my, eye, from my eyes and I, I was able to see it. Something clicked, something happened in my heart, in my mind. And that's not feely, you know, subjective stuff. John is trying to say, you understand the gospel, which is objective, it's concrete, and you get it in a way that other people don't get it. And so that is the anchor of your faith. That is the testimony that he wants to cling them to. And of course, he uses weird words like water and blood and the, the testimony. But he's trying to channel, he's trying to protect them from the false teaching that they've received and bring them back to the basics, right? And so he wants to encourage them and talk to them about their inner testimony. If you see in verse 10, uh, he says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his Son. And so when he says you have the testimony in you, what he's saying is, is all that I've been explaining so far is that you have this truth, you have the gospel, and you know it to be true. He's not saying uh, that you, you put faith in Christ and then you get the testimony. He's saying the way I know that you have faith, the way I know that you are a believer is that you have the testimony in you, not like in your hand. It's not just that you have a Bible. It's that the, it's that the word of God, the truth of God about the gospel is in you. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. You're convinced by it. And so he knows that they're believers and he's trying to assure them, don't listen to the false testimonies of the false teachers that you are in because you've got the gospel right. And you don't just have the gospel right on paper. You've got the gospel right in your heart. It's the testimony of God that is in you. And those who don't embrace the son that way, they might embrace something about the son, but miss something else. I'll take the water, but I won't take the blood. I'll take the ministry of Jesus, but I won't take the sacrifice of Jesus. I like the nice Jesus. I won't take the wrathful Jesus. I'll take the Jesus who likes to serve the community, the social justice Jesus, but I won't take the Jesus that makes, that makes it clear that I deserve a penalty. Well, those people are out. It's water and blood. It's the entire testimony of the gospel. As we were singing earlier, I kept thinking to myself about the, the songs that we're singing are uncomfortable to sing, especially that song, Not In Me. I mean, we're singing about how undeserving we are, but we sound like a repentant community, don't we, when we sing that song. When we sing songs like that, we sound like a community of people that get the fact that we don't deserve it. You know, we, we, don't, we don't get to fist bump God and, and waltz our way into heaven. There's something nasty has to happen first uh, for us to come out without condemnation. And we're, we're grateful because of that. And we're thankful because of that. 
that Jesus' ministry isn't just uh, the things that we want out of it, but it also takes blood and sacrifice. It takes propitiation. We get that. That's the inner testimony, and that's our anchor. And so he wants us to see that clearly. He wants us to understand that unequivocally. And this, this is something that is not just sort of uh, an impersonal truth. It doesn't just kind of hang out there as something to believe, and then you just kind of get on with something else. But it means you have life. It is literally the difference between life and death, eternal life and eternal death, which he makes clear in the next verse. He says in verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And so for those of us who understand the gospel this way, we can sing a song like Not In Me and not feel weird, not feel like, why am I singing this? This is depressing. But instead, we're uplifted by a song like that, right? That's the inner testimony speaking loudly to the fact that you're a different person. You're not singing out of death. You're singing out of life. You were rescued from death. And you understand what it took for that transaction to happen, the propitiation of Jesus Christ. And so this is something that affords us eternal life. And that is precisely what we're tempted sometimes to doubt. That eternal life in Christ, life in Jesus Christ, is it precisely what false teachers will try to rob from you. It's precisely what the accuser will try to steal from you. You don't really have life. Don't you remember that thing you did? Don't you remember that thought you thought? Don't you remember that crime? Don't you remember that issue, that part of your past? And that past might have been this morning, right? It might be something recent, and it, it keeps you up at night. And even though you've come and repented and you've you've done everything biblical to uh, make things right and you've asked the Lord for forgiveness, uh, we can still hear the echoes of the accuser uh, telling us there's no way that we can have life. There's no way that we're good with God, right, because of those things. Other people are closer to God, but you're not close enough to God, right? Uh, you still have a long way to go. There is no way to go. Jesus accomplished it. It is finished, not it is jump-started. And we need to return to that confidence of the gospel, the confidence that says, it's not what I do to get in. It's what Jesus did to put me in. And it's not that I might have life. It's not that I'm still hoping for life. It's not that I'm growing in life. I'm, hopefully I'll stay in it. It's you have eternal life. That life is eternal. What a confidence uh, boost to give, what an assurance to give his readers who've been uh, possibly ridiculed, uh, definitely mistaught by those false teachers that ended up leaving them. And so when he tells them that this is their identity, that they are people who have life, they're not wishing for it, they have it for sure, if, if you're wondering what in the world that has to do with prayer, that, that exposes the problem. If, if, we're, if it's really hard for us to connect the fact that we abide in God and God abides in us, the fact that we have eternal life in the Son and what that has anything to do with prayer, that's the disconnect I'm talking about. If we want to pick up a book on prayer, we want it to jump straight into how to keep a prayer journal. What time of day am I supposed to do it? What are the habits? 
How do I develop this? How do I keep it going? Uh, let me read the testimony of someone who's a great giant of, of prayer. By the time we're done with that book, we just feel like we're such a spiritual dwarf, we're never going to pray, right? Um, how do we create time in the day? We talk about spiritual habits and spiritual disciplines, which continues to put it on our backs. You have to do, you have to grind it out. You have to be prayerful. By being prayerful, just do it. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to do that stuff. I think those things can be helpful to you. But interesting that we don't find it in Scripture. Scripture doesn't talk about how long to pray. The one thing that we do have about length of prayer is Jesus saying, don't keep stacking phrases on top of each other, each other just to make the prayer longer and show off in front of people about how long you can pray, right? Just say what you're going to say. God knows it already anyway. Uh, what he talks about getting into a prayer closet is not because there's something spiritual about getting into a prayer closet. It's, it's, it's Jesus teaching that we shouldn't be praying in front of other people to show off. That's what Jesus means by that. So we don't have a lot, do we, in Scripture in terms of uh, spiritual habits of prayer. And of course, Jesus would withdraw and go into the mountain and he would do prayer retreats. But then on the other side of that, he would do really big works, right? Uh, so I'm not sure that every morning we've got to go to a mountain or every morning we're supposed to stuff ourselves in a closet. And if that's your habit, that's great. What I'm trying to communicate to you is that if you feel like you're on a prayer roller coaster, and you can't really get consistent with prayer, it might be because we're starting with the wrong things. We're starting with scripture says almost nothing about, and we're not starting with what scripture is loud about, the abiding. And so we read an entire paragraph on the assurance of eternal life in Christ, and we have a hard time seeing how that connects to prayer, and that's our problem. Because what John says about prayer flows directly from most of our uh, uh, Bibles start a, a new paragraph in verse 13. But you'll notice that verse 13 is concluding what he just said in the previous paragraph. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's just a recap. That, that's just a conclusion. That That's a, uh, he's he's reiterating Everything that's come before, the water, the blood, the testimony, the three that agree, uh, again, he's bringing weight to it, right? Like, you know, you need three witnesses that agree, the, the testimonies that corroborate one another, they're consistent with one another. The gospel is consistent. It doesn't contradict. It's solid, trustworthy, truthful, and you believe it. That testimony is inside of you. What's his conclusion? You know you have eternal life. I'm writing to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's not giving a free pass to just anybody, only to those who embrace the testimony of God concerning his Son, Jesus Christ. If you believe it, you take all of it for what it is. You don't adjust it. You don't clip it. You don't copy and paste and cut out what you don't want. You embrace all of it. You believe in the name of the Son of God, then he knows you have eternal life now he knows it now and he wants you to know that what that assurance does is that assurance breeds confidence if we don't have that assurance we don't have confidence if you don't have confidence you'll pray without confidence if you pray without confidence you'll feel like you don't know what you're doing 
you'll always question whether God's going to answer it, whether that, if he does answer it, you're going to wonder if that was just uh, circumstantial, coincidental. If he doesn't answer it, you're going to wonder what's wrong with you. Maybe you didn't put in a good enough week. Maybe you didn't obey hard enough this week. If, the, if God is just waiting, you're going to think God doesn't love you. You're not in. See, conf, con, prayer without confidence doesn't work. It's discouraging, and that's why we stop. We stop until we go to the next men's retreat where the topic is prayer. We stop until the next song comes on the radio where it talks about prayer. We feel inspired, and we do it. We stop until the next sermon hits it hard. Hey, we should be praying but we kind of fall back into a lack of confidence and the lack of confidence can never drive prayer. And so what he's doing here is he's spending several verses reiterating this assurance that he's been on about this entire letter. Then in verse 13, recapping it, here's why I'm writing this. I'm writing this for those who, to, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, why? I'm writing it so that those of you who believe may know you have eternal life. That breeds a confidence, verse 14. And what is that confidence? And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, many of us want to just bypass all those previous verses. I don't know what water is. I don't know what blood is. I don't know what the testimony thing, the testify thing. I don't know what all that is. But ah! I can ask anything and he'll give it to me. And then Jesus becomes kind of like a genie. But if, but that only happens when you bypass all those other verses, right? If you bypass all of what the gospel is, all of who Jesus actually is, then we turn Jesus into something we want. And we ask him the things that we want to get out of him. And that's not the right kind of confidence. That's the wrong kind of confidence. So we can enter prayer without confidence, low confidence. Or we can enter prayer with the wrong confidence. It's not confidence in the gospel. It's confidence in magic. Or it's confidence in God being sort of a clerk behind the counter where you give the payment and he, he, you know, he gives out the product. And that is not what the gospel is. That's actually opposite of what the gospel is. Because we will never receive anything from God based on our payment. We can only receive anything from God based on a payment that Jesus Christ has made. And our confidence has to be in that and not in anything else. Think about how many things you've tried to do and you stopped because you were discouraged or because you're not confident. Um, I was just thinking about, you know, my mind kind of tends to turn to things that are relevant in my own life. But uh, one of the things that's closed now is the gym. And, uh, even, even the gym I normally go to where uh, they are very OCD up in there. There are wipes everywhere. This is way before any COVID thing. There's wipes everywhere and people are wiping. The equipment is constantly wet from, you know, Lysol wipes. Uh, there are people that grip the equipment with Lysol wipes in their hands. Okay. <laughs> so when the COVID stuff came out and they were saying, hey, wipe down this and wipe down that. Forget it. The clientele at the gym I go to, they're, uh, they're, they're Nazis about it. I mean, I, sometimes I wipe stuff just because I don't want to get looks. Um, uh, there, there's hand pump sanitizers everywhere. It's a very clean gym. But they're, they're not meeting. They're not meeting. And so I think about uh, the different kinds of gyms that are closed right now because, they're, you know, they would be so full of people. 
and uh, think, I think about the kinds of gyms that try to boost your confidence, right? By saying, hey, this is a no judgment zone. No one's going to yell at you. You know, there's no big meatheads here. Hey, look, there's pizza. Go ahead and eat it. You know, <laughs> vending machines with Coke in it or whatever. Uh, because they're trying, to, they're trying to lower the fearfulness of the customer coming in. I think a lot of people, we go to the gym and we just push things around. It's, it's because we're sick of not fitting into our jeans. We're sick of looking, not looking the way we used to look, not feeling the way we used to feel. But there hasn't really been a change. Something hasn't really clicked inside of us. We just go there and we're not confident. Uh, we see people that are fitter than us. We see people doing, you know, 30 pull-ups at, at a time or benching really big weight. And we're scared of the weight area. And so we go in, we kind of push things around and then we quit, right? We get discouraged. And I think that's similar to what we experience oftentimes with prayer, because we don't have a good bearing on what we're supposed to be doing, on what actually is going on here, right? Uh, I mean, if you go to a gym and there's pizza there, <laughs> you're not going to the gym because you know what's going on. You're going to the gym because you know somebody told you, or it's common wisdom that you're supposed to be in a gym somewhere, right? And a lot of us as Christians, were like, I know I'm supposed to be praying. You know, if you ask most Christians, what, what should you be doing? I don't know, read the Bible and pray? Okay. How's the prayer life going? Well, I started, I stopped, I tried the journal, then I stopped. I tried prayer cards, didn't work. I lost them. I tried an app, my phone broke. It's like this in and out and in and out because we're not starting with what John wants us to start with, which is the gospel, which breeds confidence to pray a certain way so that we don't enter in with low confidence or misplaced confidence. But when your confidence is right, based on real assurance, then you have a certain kind of confidence, and that certain kind of confidence turns into this gem of a verse we have here, where it says in verse 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And what he means by hears us isn't that God goes, oh, I heard that one. Like he doesn't hear the other ones. Of course, he's omniscient and he hears it. What he means by hearing it is giving you what you asked. How do I know that? Well, it says it in the next verse. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. Again, think about how assurance is bleeding into all of this. I write these to you so you may know you have eternal life. And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, verse 15. If we know that he hears us, we know that we have the request. You know, you know, you know. You don't doubt it. You don't wonder. You know it. You know it. So prayer is supposed to be a confident exercise. Prayer is supposed to be something that flows from a, a heart that is assured that he hears, assured that he's a father stooping to listen to the prayers of his children, not a grumpy boss who doesn't want to hear yet another complaint from his employee. That, that is not the image. The image is a father who wants to hear from his children. And so as you view God differently, that you're not distant from God, you would and you should be distant from God, but because of Christ's work, the water and the blood, we have confidence to pray confident prayers, and not just confident prayers, effective prayers, right? You will get what you ask. 
what he says. Now, oftentimes in the Bible, uh, this, this promise comes up, you know, ask, you'll receive, that kind of thing. But you'll notice that John makes it very clear here that we are asking according to his will. And some of us might feel like that sounds like a catch. I can ask whatever I want as long as what I want is what he wants. It's like when Henry Ford rolled out the Model T and said, you can get any color you want as long as it's black, right? Uh, what does that mean? I can ask anything I want, but it has to be according to his will. Well, yeah, because if you ask anything you want according to your will and you, it's granted to you, then you're God. But if he's God and he knows what's right and he knows what's just and he knows what's best and he knows how to time things, etc., then we have to ask according to his will. And the times where we ask and we're not sure what his will is or we think we know what his will is, but it turns out that it wasn't. We need, to, we need to understand that that doesn't wreck our assurance. That doesn't wreck our confidence. See, if we enter, if we try to end, become more prayerful, and our understanding of prayer is that it's supposed to be effective, and then when it's not effective, we go, well, I guess prayer is not effective. Your confidence, again, is misplaced because your confidence is in you constantly getting God's will correct in your asking. And he's not promising that you're always going to get it correct. He's saying when you get it correct, it'll happen. But we do have to ask. And so this assurance of your identity breeds a confidence in prayer. And it's not, he's not saying your confidence in prayer gives you assurance of your identity. You know, the more you pray and, and the more you see requests answered, oh, you must be a Christian. No, it's understand you're a Christian first, outside of answered prayer. How do you understand you're a Christian? The gospel, not the effects of the gospel, the gospel itself. And if you understand the gospel, then your prayer will look a certain way. Uh, so he doesn't want us to enter prayer, see if it looks a certain way, and then come to conclusions about whether we're in or not. He wants you to understand you're in, and then from that, learn to pray a certain way. And so answered prayer is not the foundation of your testimony. Sometimes God is going to say, no, you prayed and you got his will wrong. Okay, you're human. And that's okay. Sometimes God is going to say, no, if you need evidence, look at scripture. When Moses would pray and God said, no. When Paul would pray and God said, no. How about when Jesus himself prays in the garden to let this cup of wrath pass by him and God the Father says, no. So, of course, a model of prayer in Scripture is learning to embrace God's no. And, and, and on the other side of that, you realize, okay, that's why Jesus prayed, if it be your will, let this cup pass. <laughs> so you're, you're not always going to know for certain God's will. Oftentimes, you do know God's will in a situation that you're facing. But sometimes you don't, and he wants you to pray anyway. The heroes of the faith did, Jesus did. You pray according to the knowledge that you have in front of you. If it's according to God's will, it'll happen. One of the ways we help our hearts adjust to asking more rightly, asking according to his will more frequently, is maturing and understanding what his will is. You know, those of you who are married, you like certain kinds of movies, and your spouse doesn't like certain kinds of movies. 
you know, in your first year of marriage, you, you might've asked your wife, you want to go watch, you know, action flick part 10. And she's like, well, no, not really. I don't really want to watch that or flip it. You know, she really wants to watch a musical. And for the 15th time she asks you, you want to watch a musical and she can tell in your face, it's like, how many points does that win me? You know, kind of thing. After a while, you're like, I know what to ask. I know what he likes. I know what she likes, right? In the beginning of a relationship, you might have to ask a bunch of friends what kind of gift to give the person you're dating because you're not, you don't know them enough. But years later, everyone's asking you, you're the expert. So you grow in your knowledge of a person's will, what they like, what they delight in, what they abhor, what they don't like. And as you grow in your maturity in Christ, you'll have a better and greater understanding of the things that God wants for you. What's good, what's right, what's just, what's wise, what's expedient, and what's not. You know how to embrace his no and adjust your asking according to that. I think of uh, Psalm 37, verse 4, where the psalmist says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That, that's all John is channeling, channeling here, right? You delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you whatever your heart desires. But you can't clip out that first part. If we start with, God is going to give me whatever my heart desires, we could be delighting in the wrong thing. Delight yourself in the Lord. He makes you happy. What he wants is what you want. Then ask what you want. That's just a, a poetic way of saying, ask what God wants to do. Ask him to do what he already wants to do, and he'll do it. Well, what's the point of praying then? Well, prayer is more than just, as one commentator put it that I was reading this week, it's not so much about the communicating, but the communing. Right? It's the abiding that John keeps talking about in this letter, to abide in God and God abiding in you and developing that relationship. It's not just God already knows what he wants to do, so what's the point of asking? The point of asking is he invites us into this kind of relationship with him. And James tells us, doesn't he, that some of us don't have because we don't ask. It's not just that God wants to get a certain thing done. It's that the way he wants to get that thing done is through our prayers. Why did he set it up that way? Because he wanted to. Because it takes a relationship to make those things happen. That's why. And so God invites us into this miraculous, grace-based, uh, mercy-driven relationship so that we can be a prayerful people, so we can come to him in the confidence that we do have access to him, that the curtain has been torn. And because of that, we can pray and have prayers answered. So here's Paul, here's uh, John's uh, point in this letter, in this section especially. Since we truly have life in Christ, we have confidence to pray effective prayers. Right? Our life in Christ is the basis of our confidence for praying effective prayers. And the reason why I say effective is because we're talking about specific prayers. We're not talking about, uh, Lord, I, you know, I love you. Thank you. I worship you. Uh, amen. Good night. It's asking something specific. Look at the verse. Ask anything according to his will, and he hears us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we ask him. They're actual requests. Lord, here's the situation. I need you to change it. 
here's something I can't handle. I need you to manage it for me. I, I need you to fix this. Here's someone in my life who uh, needs help. Whatever the request might be, you bring it to the Lord, and it's something that is objectively answerable. You can look back and see that he actually answered it. It's not something that stays sort of in this nebulous cloud, like I think God answered it, but I'm not sure. He's talking about even requests that you can look back and write it down and go, on this date, I asked this request, and on this date, he gave it. That, that's what John is talking about here. And we shouldn't be afraid to pray specific prayers, uh, actual requests before God. And as a church, we don't, right? We've got our prayer requests in, um, uh, in the handout that, get, that gets emailed now. We used to, you know, we normally put that printed out in the bulletin, but it gets emailed out either way. A specific prayer requests. Uh, and that's good. But what John wants to remind you is that right being leads to asking rightly, right? It's your confidence in who you are that bleeds into how you're able to ask. And so sometimes uh, we'll miss and we'll get a no. We'll get a wait. God is waiting. It's a yes, but it's going to take time, and that's okay. But you keep growing. You keep growing and understanding God's will God's heart. You keep growing in your delight in the Lord, and you keep asking. So I think one application that we can think of from this passage is to write prayers down, right? It's hard to look back and see how God has answered specific requests if we don't remember what those requests are. Uh, I, I do want to tell you this, I, and I started the sermon by letting you in on the fact, and for most of you, that you're no stranger to this fact, but Prayer is not like a strong suit of mine. Um, it, it's hard for me to linger in prayer. But one thing I do is I will lift up a very clear, specific request to the Lord, usually out of desperation. <laughs> uh, usually because, man, I'm just realizing outside of God, and it, it shouldn't take me level a desperate level to get to these prayer requests sometimes, but uh, lo and behold, now that's what happens oftentimes. But it's those specific requests that I ask uh, that I can look back and go, man, God did that. God did that because it was a specific request. And so I remember uh, earlier on in the ministry of CFC, I would pray often for God to send us the hurting, the lost, the disillusioned, the confused, uh, the, uh, those that are stuck in darkness and they need the gospel so that we can evangelize them and give them the gospel. Over a period of time, I realized what our church needs is more strength. We've got a few people doing everything. So then I prayed a specific prayer. I didn't pray it thousands of times. I don't think I even prayed it 50 times, just a few times, but I remember very specifically asking God, CFC needs mature believers. I don't know where they're going to come from. Maybe they move into the area, you know, or whatever the case might be. We need some believers that can help other believers. And we need some, some others that can maturely handle ministry in the church. And that's, I think, when CFC really started taking a turn in terms of growth, 
maturity. Uh, and you look now and, you know, we've got a really solid membership. We've got three elders. We've got two deacons. Uh, last time I took a sabbatical, I was like, how's this going to work? There were way fewer of us, no deacons, right? Uh, now I feel like, okay, this is, this is, you know, I'm still going to miss everybody, but I'm much more confident that things are going to be happening well because uh, that request, I believe, was answered specifically. Many of you can think of specific prayers you've asked, and when God answers it, you can look back and see that God is doing what you asked specifically. So let's pray specific prayers. Let's let our confidence be the fact that God hears your prayer. If you're in Christ, he hears your prayer. And if you are growing in Christ, uh, your asking will get better. You will ask better of him as you understand his will more. And we get that, obviously, from studying scripture, uh, spending time in his word, allowing him to tell us what he's like. And as we learn what he's like, we pray prayers that connect with that, that jive with that. So I want to end our time, I, I think, appropriately with some prayer uh, that the Lord would allow us to be more prayerful. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. Download an app if that's going to help you. Bust out a prayer journal. I don't even know what that might look like. Google it. YouTube it. Ask other people at CFC. I know you kept a journal. What's that like? I know some people keep prayer cards. Uh, find some way to track what you're praying and keep praying it. Uh, hit print on those prayer requests that come out each week for CFC and check them off. You don't have to pray them a hundred times each. Pray them one time each and check them off as you pray uh, so that you say specific prayers that can be specifically answered based on the confidence you have in Christ. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I want to begin by asking you for forgiveness. Forgiveness for maybe the long spells and periods of time that we are prayerless, where we don't pray often. We ask for your forgiveness that sometimes we only pray when we're totally desperate in a situation. And we wait till we've exhausted doctors and we've exhausted experts and blogs. We've exhausted every human resource and then we turn to you. Would you forgive us of that and help us to turn to you first? Father, we ask for your forgiveness for praying prayers that oftentimes are wrongly confident. We pray prayers and we expect a hearing because we're doing pretty well or something like that. So, Father, help us to pray prayers that are confident with the confidence rightly placed uh, on Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. And that because of that, we have a clear connection. You know, no, no glitches, no lag. It's clear. You hear our prayers. And you don't just hear them audibly. You give us what we ask when we ask according to your will. And so, Father, adjust our wills. Adjust our hearts. Align them with what you want, with what you desire. We don't want to start praying with give us this day our daily bread. We want to start praying with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we want to start our praying life by adjusting our hearts to your will 
to your kingdom and not ours, uh, to your holiness, your awesomeness, your majesty, uh, but not just how regal you are, but how fatherly you are, our heavenly father, and that we can come before your throne as your children and present requests to you. Help us understand you want to hear requests, that this is something you desire. You desire prayers. So we need what we need a change so that we can be more prayerful. So Father, we ask you for it. We ask you for prayerfulness. We pray that you would help us pray. Right now, our prayer is that you would help us be more prayerful as a people, uh, as your children. As we close in this song, God, massage, continue to massage the truths that we sing into our hearts to adjust our understanding of our identity in Christ so that we can be confident to pray as a result. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. And why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom and this I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my
thy ransom. Oh, Father, we are grateful to you for that ransom. We're grateful to you that we have an assurance. Uh, we're, we're grateful that we don't have to doubt whether or not we have a relationship with you and not meagerly a relationship with you, but one where it, the, uh, the access is total, uh, the access is full, the path is clear, because something was finished on the cross, something has been accomplished, not part way, but fully. And so therefore, our assurance shouldn't be part, but full. And so therefore, our confidence should be full and bright and centered on Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. Help us to pray cross-centered prayers. Help us to pray grace-birthed prayers, prayers that are confident because of what you've done. And we pray that we would begin to see more and more answered prayer uh, as a result of our starting in the right place with our commitment to prayerfulness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.